Bibles this morning to John chapter 9. Uh, it is also Communion Sunday. The first Sunday of the month is Communion Sunday, and uh, usually we receive communion right at the end of our time of worship, but uh, we're, gonna, we're actually going to move that to the end of the sermon this morning, and uh, you'll understand why as I get into the message today. Um, my message this morning is entitled, I Once Was. I Once Was. Um, and how many of you just started having that hymn play through your head, right? Amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I'm find, found. I love watching uh, TV shows uh, about restoration. Uh, I love HGTV. Uh, I love Velocity. Any car, car people? I won't say car guys, because I know there's, there's ladies that are into cars as well. Two in the whole church. I've got two guys. Re- uh, Jacques, you're a car guy. Come on, you're holding out on me here. Two car guys. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, so HGTV Velocity, if, if I have the option to watch TV, I'm probably going to watch one of those or the cooking channel. Any food, food network? Okay. A little more of a response there. Everyone loves to, to eat. There's something about watching a, a show about uh, taking something, a, a car or a house that's run down that's worn out, uh, that's not usable anymore, that's, it's just, it's broken, and bringing it back to a state that's, that's like new, or in most cases, better than new. Um, Megan likes it when I watch Fixer Upper. Any Fixer Upper fans in the house? All right. She likes it when I watch Fixer Upper because it's like, it fires me up to do stuff around the house. Um, now, thankfully, we rent. Otherwise, I would have a sledgehammer out, and we'd be taking out walls. I think every house we rent, we're like, if this were our house, that wall would be gone. And uh, we've done that before in our own home, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, there's a show on a Velocity Channel called Overhauling, which the two car guys in the room might know about. Um, I wanted to show you a couple of pictures. I'm a car guy. I've always been a car guy. I've always been more into cars than sports. Um, That's changing a little bit as of late, but for the most part. Here's a couple of pictures of some cars. This is a Ford Mustang that doesn't look too great, does it? It looks a little bit beat up. And, uh, and what I love about the show Overhauling, as opposed to some of the other car shows, is first of all, it's, it's pretty clean. Um, some of the car shows get, there's content and you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to watch this. But they always pick people who have a story. There's always some kind of compelling story. This, this car belonged to my grandfather who passed away and we were supposed to work on it together. Or They do a lot with, uh, with veterans and, and, and those who are actively serving in the military, which is really neat. So they take a car like this and then the next slide, that's what it turns into. Pretty cool. Let's, let's go back to the before. Before, after, right? That's amazing. I don't care if you're a car person or not. That's pretty incredible. Um, and what I love is that they, under the hood, it's as clean and beautiful under the hood. They put big engines in it and make them go fast and, uh, and upgrade them. And, and here's the amazing thing is that in the 1960s and 70s, when these cars were built, the technology that existed back then really made these sports cars um, what's the word? Dangerous. <laughs> right? We have more muscle, more muscle under the hood and not a whole lot of suspension and braking power to keep it on the road. In fact, in a, in a global sense, the reputation of American cars is that they go fast in a straight line. 
but you do not want to turn the steering wheel because you're taking the, your life into your own hands. On this particular show, they'll take a car like this and they upgrade everything. They put the most modern suspension and modern braking and, and modern components. So it's not like new. It's better than it ever was before. Let's take a look at this next one. All right. Any, any VW Bug fans? All right. We've got a couple more. All right. Right. I, I knew I'd appeal to a, a larger audience with that one. So this is the before, and then this is the after. And so uh, Chip Foose, who is the designer on this show, is, is pretty amazing and does incredible work. Okay, so for those of you who are not car people, I've got something for you as well. Here's a couple of houses on Fixer Upper, right, the before and the after. Um, and then that one is pretty amazing. Look how run down that house is and how beautiful it is afterwards. There's something about watching uh, a house or a car or, or, or there's other things that get restored, taking those things, taking them apart, cleaning them up, restoring them, and bringing them back to this incredible condition. And I think what's so amazing and what appeals to me about it is that I, I think it represents the heart of God, that, that we capture a sense of the heart of God in, in even something like a house or a car, because we serve a God who not only creates, we serve a God who restores. Amen? And I want to talk about a story this morning. My message this morning doesn't really have any points. Uh, I want to share a narrative with you this morning, and, uh, and it's going to lead us to the cross. It's going to lead us to our time of communion this morning. So John chapter 9, verse 1 through 11, you can turn there in your Bible. The words will also be on the screen. As, as we start reading here, what's happening is that Jesus is walking with, with the disciples in Jerusalem, and he comes across someone as he's walking. So starting in verse 1, it says this, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God may be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we, and make, make note of the word we, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he in himself insisted, I am the man. I am the man. It goes on in verse 10. How then were your eyes open, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. What a great story. What a great story. Here's this man born blind, blind from birth his whole life. It doesn't tell us how old he is. It just says that he's a man, so we can assume he's, right, he's, he's past his teenage years and into uh, manhood. He's never been able to see a day 
in his life. And we have to understand that he lived in a time and in a context where there were no, uh, there were nothing was afforded to people with disabilities. There were, there was nothing that, uh, no support, no structure, no, uh, right, no, no um, systems in place to help those with disabilities. In fact, if you were born with a disability in that time, the, the immediate assumption was this: someone in your family has sinned, and you're being punished for that sin. In a, in a society where everyone worked, right? Imagine, I mean, we have air conditioning and electricity. We have cars and the comforts of our lives. They lived in a time where everything was carried, everything was picked up. You, you wanted water, you went down to the pool and you scooped the water out and then you took it back to your house. You carried everything everywhere you went and everything was harder infinitely harder than what it is for us today. So if you're born into that society and you're blind, you're of little or no value. In fact, the best thing that you would have to offer is sitting and begging along the side of the street, which this man had probably done from when he was old enough to hold right, a plate or a basket in his hand and beg as he would hear the footsteps of people going by as he sat in the dirt. Imagine that sitting in the same place year after year, day after day, marginalized, written off, of no value to society. Your parents just hoping that you can bring in just a little bit of money to, to maybe cover a little bit of the expense that's associated. And, and not only that, the parents would have been marginalized because the assumption, as I said, was this there's something wrong. You must have sinned because he was born blind. You must have sinned. And we hear that in even the disciples. Rabbi, teacher, was it this man's parents or was it him? That sin that caused him to be blind. No hope. Absolutely no hope. That this man... This was his life. It was his lot that every day for the rest of his life until he died, he would sit in this place. There was no hope for anything better, anything different. This was it. But then Jesus. But then Jesus. Jesus comes walking by and in a moment, everything changes. Jesus changes everything. Everything. There's an encounter. There's this moment, as we've been talking about even over the last few weeks, there's this Kairos moment where Jesus shows up and he has this encounter with this man and this man's life is completely transformed and restored and redeemed. But then Jesus. See, in, in these verses that follow, we see the sovereignty of our God. We see the compassion of our God, the power of our God, the mercy of our God, the love of our God to reach down and touch someone who in a society and a culture has no value and speak value and speak life and speak restoration. But then Jesus. But let me stop for a second. I want to address this issue of who sinned. Whose fault is it? Do we live in a culture and in a time where we like to ascribe fault, right? And we talk about it even when we, when we drive, right? If you happen to be in an accident, what's the first thing? Who was at fault? 
right? Because the insurance company needs to know. Otherwise, you may or may not get money. Who's at fault? Something goes wrong in the house. Who do we blame? Who do I point the finger at? Who's, what's the reason? Who's the person behind this? Well, it's not anything new. The disciples go, Rabbi, teacher, who's, who's fault? Who sinned? Who messed up? What's lacking in their voice is the compassion for the man. Because at this point, the disciples are still more a part of the culture and of the world than they are having the mind and, and the eyes of the kingdom of God. And so they're just looking for a teachable moment. Lord, just help us understand who messed up that this man would be in this condition. And this is where we see the sovereignty of God. Jesus' response says, it's neither. Neither him or his parents sinned. In fact, he says this, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is a problem for us. It's a problem for me. Because I don't know what to do with that sometimes. Especially when I feel like I'm sitting on the side of the road in the dirt with no hope. God, I, I can say with my mouth and believe in, in my heart that, that you're in control and you know what you're doing, but right now I don't want to be in this situation. And Jesus says this happened so that the works of God might be, made, might be displayed in him. I, I don't know about you, but I sometimes wonder if, if in walking past the man, if the disciples had not stopped and said, what about this guy, if, if Jesus would have even healed him. You ever thought that? Anyone else? Which, if I was just a person who was aware of this world and this life, would really be a problem because Jesus would come off as careless, uncaring, incompassionate. But the reality is, is that Jesus has a kingdom perspective, an eternal perspective. And so, yes, in this life, there's this trouble. This guy is dealing with this situation and Jesus wants to meet him in that, and as we see in, this, in, in the following verses, bring sight to his eyes. But there is a bigger picture here, and Jesus says, this is happening so that the works of God may be displayed in him. God sees the big picture, and he's not limited by the things that limit us. Even if there's no accommodations in the culture and the society we are for our particular place of pain and hurt and blindness, God says, I know what's going on in your life. I know what I'm doing, and I'm not limited by the things in your life that you think limit you. Robert and Stacy's testimony this morning, because there is, there's a lot of backstory. You need to connect with them and ask them to share their, their testimony with you. And, and, and Stacy referenced it, nine years of loss, nine years of financial loss. On a scope, when they share the story, you go, oh my goodness. Wow, I can't even imagine that. But you see that faithfulness. Why? Because God sees the big picture. He knew that you guys would have the opportunity to stand here this morning and begin sharing your testimony of what God is doing in your lives. And here's the amazing thing. You fit into that eternal plan not just as someone who's needing the touch of God in your life, but as someone who can bring the touch of God in someone else's life. You see, because Jesus says, uh, says to them, as long as it is day, we, we 
we, we must do the works of him who sent me. He doesn't say, as long as it's day, I must do the works. He now includes the disciples and he says, let me open your eyes a little bit to what I'm doing here. There's an opportunity for you, not just to make a judgment call about who sinned, this man or his parents. There's an opportunity for you to shine light into a dark place. And we must do this as we have the opportunity. Night is coming when no one can work while I am in the world. I am the light of the world. And Jesus goes, in another place, he talks about the fact that we're, he says, I'm the light of the world. And then he says to his disciples, you're the light of the world. And that we get to be that light, that compassion, that love that reaches out and touches people's lives. We get to partner in this. As we continue reading in this story, of course, the man Jesus spits in the mud and he, uh, in the clay and he makes some mud and he puts it on the man's eyes, which, I don't know, that's just weird. You know, just, it's just weird. Like, wh- what? Why would you do this? Um, we have to understand, though, that it was the Sabbath. And, and Jesus, Jesus liked, liked poking people and liked stepping on toes a little bit. And, and, right, the Pharisees are following him around always, watching for an opportunity. And so what we must understand is that him spitting in the mud and then in the clay and making, making mud was considered work, right? And so there's a bigger picture here. It was just mud. It was just spit. It wasn't magical. It wasn't anything about, right, the combination of the mud and the clay. Was it, that, right? No, it wasn't, it was just mud. It was just spit. Jesus just decided in this moment, this is how I'm going to do it. Why? Because he sees the big picture and he knows the conversation that's going to follow with this man. And he puts it on the man's eyes. And then he tells him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man is faced with a decision. I hear voices. Now think about it from the perspective of the man. I love, you, you have to do this sometimes as you're reading the Bible. Take yourself out of the, we love the perspective of Jesus, right? Who doesn't love the perspective of Jesus? And we can relate to the perspective of the disciples. But think about the man sitting in the dirt and he's hearing the conversation happening. He can't see anyone. They're all talking about him. Who sinned? Was it this man? Or his parents, and he's like, great, here we go again. I've had this conversation before. I've heard this. Can you just move on? Get out of my way. You're blocking the view, and maybe someone else will come. Right? And then Jesus says, neither. Wait, what? Neither. This was done so that God would be glorified. And then it goes quiet. Okay, come on. And then he hears... What's going on here? What's happening? Can someone just help me out for a second? And you know when, like, even when your eyes are closed, but you know someone's in your space, right? And then, and there's that sense like, oh, wait, someone's really close to me right now. What? And then that sensation of mud, and your brain starts piecing this all together. Wait a minute, this, this guy just spit in the, in the dirt and made mud. And now he's putting it on my eyes. What's going on here? This doesn't make sense. 
And then he hears Jesus' voice. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. He has a decision to make. (laughs) I don't know who this guy is, but he's out of his mind. Just move on. Leave me alone. But there's something about this encounter with Jesus where this guy gets up. And it doesn't tell us if he knew how to get there on his own or if he needed someone to guide him there. But he goes to the pool. And can you imagine in that moment getting down on his knees getting down to the water and feeling the cool water in his hands. And in faith, by faith, bringing that water up to his eyes and washing, and for the first time in his entire life, opening his eyes to see. I get overwhelmed with emotion just thinking about it. And I've been able to see my whole life. He washes his eyes and he can see He can see. He can see. And it's amazing. Verse 8, though, what happens almost immediately is what I call the skeptics. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him asked, isn't this a man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed uh, that it was that he was, and others said, no, it only looks like him. Why, and why is that significant? Because he wasn't worthy of their attention. They didn't actually know what he looked like because they didn't look at him. Right? It's when Peter and John encountered the blind man. And what, is he, what does he say? Right? Look. I mean, no, the lame man. Sorry, not the blind man. The lame man. What does he say? Look at us. Look at us. Why? Because if you were begging, you were not worthy to look someone in the eye. And so you were not engaged. This man was never engaged. So people didn't really know what he looked like. No, it just looks like him. But it's not really him. And then the man, of course, with his eyes open is going, It's me. It's me. I am the man. Which I read that in our context means something different. I'm the man. But that's not it. I am the man. I'm, I'm that guy. I'm the guy that's been blind since I was born, and I, I can see. And so, so we have these skeptics. We have the skeptics that, that right in that moment are going, well, how is this even possible, and, and how did this take place, and, and who is this guy that did this, and, right? And, and he's like, I don't know. I've never seen the man before, because remember, he sends the man away. Jesus sends, sends the man away, so he, all he ever heard was the voice of Jesus and felt the touch of Jesus. I am the man. Here's what I know when it comes to God restoring things in our lives, that there's an exchange that takes place. It's called the great exchange, that God takes the things that are broken in our lives, the things aren't working, the things that have never worked, the things that we experience hopelessness in, and he says, hey, I'm going to go ahead and take that for you, and I'm going to replace it with something better. By the way, Christy, that word this morning, she didn't know what I was preaching on. I'm going, yeah, share that word because that's exactly right on. That he's going to give you a new name and a new identity and he's going to take the things that you feel don't measure up and he's going to replace it with something amazing because he sees the big picture and he knows what you need. He even knows the things that you need that you don't know that you need. 
But here's what I've always experienced in my life, is as God is doing things in my life, that there are people, some close and some far off, who are skeptical about what's happening. People who would say things, well, you know, leopard doesn't change its spots. People don't really change, right? It's who you are. It's the way you're always going to be. And you start experiencing some growth in your life. You start experiencing the light of Jesus in your life, and there's someone going, wait a minute, is that really? That can't be you. That can't be real. It's just a face. It's not going to last. And, it, and sometimes those, those kinds of skeptical things come from, that questioning comes from people even close to us, our families, our spouses even, our kids. Or we ask it of our kids, our extended family, our friends, our co-workers, even here in church. But I've got to tell you, sometimes the biggest skeptic is ourselves. That when we look in the mirror, do we say to ourselves, I am the man? Or do we question whether or not the exchange that God is doing in our lives is really real? That it's really taken place? I, I said earlier that we're moving towards communion this morning, moving towards the cross, because that was the point. It was at Calvary that the great exchange took place. That Jesus bore on himself every, every, everything. Every sin, every mistake, every, every burden, every pain, every hurt, every rejection, every fill in the blank, whatever it is, Jesus says, I'm going to take that from you and I'm going to replace it with something else. And as we start hearing the voices, whether it's the voice of the enemy or, or, or even someone in our lives that starts saying, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know if you've really changed. Like you might have changed, but have you really, really changed? That we would be like this blind man going, I am the man. I am that woman. I am the person that God has, has extended his hand to and reached out to and lifted out of the muck and the mire who set my feet on the rock. Later on, we find this blind man ends up in front of the Pharisees. See, because they're trying to trap Jesus. Again, there's zero care for the blind man. No one gives a rip about him, even though he can see. And in questioning them, trying to say, well, what happened? What did he do? How did he do it? What was the method he used? Right? And, they're, and, and they're, they're, well, where did he go? Who is he? In verse 24 of John 9, it says, A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, and then Jesus touched my life, and now I see. I was sitting in the dirt on the side of the road, and Jesus touched my life, and I've now been restored to my place in the community I was in a place where I had no value and Jesus touched my life and now I am a valuable contributing part of our society. Jesus touched my life and everything changed. There was another man named Paul. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, we find Paul writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. And Paul is a man who went from persecuting Christians, from being the one who was at the lead, taking the lead of, of killing those who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. This man's life gets turned around, and, and in writing to Timothy, he says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, but God showed me mercy. Jesus showed me mercy. There was an exchange that took place and everything changed. And it's not an exchange that makes sense. We can't approach it from an intellectual standpoint and go, well, you know, if you have this and I have this and we exchange and it's, a, it's, a, it's, not, it's not an exchange that makes sense. We win every time in this. Every single time. When we were youth pastors uh, years and years ago with junior high, we used to do a, a game called Bigger or Better. Anyone ever play Bigger or Better? All right. So Bigger and Better was this. We would start out in the evening at the church, and, and we would break our group into teams, and every team would get a pencil. And their goal was to go into the community and knock on doors and ask people to trade. And they would say, I've got a pencil. Do you have something bigger or better? And at the end of an hour and a half or two hours, they would come back to the youth room and we'd have ice cream, and then we would compare what these teams got. And I've got to tell you, it was amazing. We had teams that brought back washers and dryers, we had car hoods that came back in. We had equipment. We had tools. We had, like, it was amazing. Bed, bed headboards and stuff. And it was actually, like, come to think of it, it wasn't very smart on my part because then everyone went, went home, and then I had to get rid of all this stuff that was left in the, in the youth room. But they would start out with a pencil and end up with a washer. This trading process, it doesn't make sense that you would start with a pencil and end up with a washing machine. It doesn't make sense that I would come with the filth and the junk and the dirt and the brokenness of my life. And Jesus would say, let me go ahead and take that for you. And in, that, in, in the place of that, I'm going to give hope and restoration and healing. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 20, 20, one, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, listen to this, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That, that's who you are. You were a sinner, and now you're the righteousness of God. You were filthy, and God has cleansed you and made you new. Verse 16 and 17 of that same chapter, he says, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Let me pause there for a second. Why? Because I can look at you and I can judge you by looking at your circumstances, the way you dress, the way you look, right? 
And I can make some judgment calls about who you are, but what I can't see is what God sees. And He sees the eternal value of your life. Not the temporal situation. He sees the eternal value of your, of your life. And when we've been clothed in Christ, when we've been reconciled to Jesus, what Paul is saying to us, stop looking at people like they're just people. Stop thinking you know what their situation is and what their need is. Stop thinking with worldly eyes and start looking at people through God's eyes. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. That's who we are. That's who God declares us to be. I have a quick list I want to share with you. I'll put it up on the screen. See, the great exchange is this. He traded your sin for His righteousness. He traded your weakness for His strength. He traded your defeat for victory. That you're no longer defeated. That you get to live in victory. He traded your bondage for freedom. Can I say that again? He traded your bondage for freedom. He traded your anxiety for peace. He's traded your poverty for His riches. He's traded sickness for health, foolishness for wisdom, and the list goes on and on and on and on. As we come to communion this morning, I felt like God wanted us to be reminded, whether you've known Jesus for a few weeks or a few decades, that we all need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. And just like that blind man sitting on the side of the road, Just like that blind man who had nothing to offer and couldn't change his situation or his circumstance. Just like the blind man where people were walking by, pointing fingers fingers at him going, you must have messed up big time to be in the situation you're in. You you must have made a lot of mistakes to be in the place that you're in. You must have made someone really angry to be deserving of what you're getting right now. And it happens to us all. Something goes a little sideways in our finances, in our workplace, in our relationships, in our marriage, and in our parenting. And, and we even start beating ourselves up and going, man, where did I mess up? Why is God punishing me? And we have to stop. And I would encourage you to do this. Get in front of a mirror and look at yourself and go, I am the man. I am the woman. I'm the one that Jesus has touched. And the old is gone and the new has come. That I'm not living in that old place anymore. I'm not going to walk in judgment of myself. And I'm not going to allow other people to look at me and go, you know, if you'd not just messed that up, God would have been able to use you more in your life. He would have been able to accomplish more in your life. No way. God says, I see where you are right now because I see eternity and I can make sense of your circumstance. So whether you've known Jesus for days or decades, God says, I want to meet you right where you're at. Because I think this is a daily process. That meeting Jesus in this way is something that I need every day. Because I wake up usually going, huh, man, I'm tired, I'm worn out, there's too much going on. Whoa, 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 time out. 
Imagine waking up saying, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God has a plan for my life. I'm redeemed. I'm restored. I'm not walking in poverty. I'm walking in riches. I'm not walking in sickness. I'm walking in health. I'm not walking in anxiety. I'm walking in the peace of Jesus Christ. This is the great exchange. Communion is the reminder. Why do we take communion? Why do we do this once a month for us? Other churches do it every week, different, different places. It's, right, it's a different way, different, uh, expressed differently in those places. But why even do it at all? Is it just tradition? No, it's not. It's a reminder. It's for us. It's to remind us of what Jesus has done, of the exchange that took place at Calvary. In the right moment, at just the right time, Christ died for you. At just the right time, Jesus came and he sacrificed his life on the cross. The bread and the cup remind us that what happened 2,000 years ago affects my reality today. That what Jesus did in sacrificing his body and his blood, spilling his blood, meets the need that I have in this moment right now. And so I'm going to invite the men to come forward. I want to ask you these questions, and as you receive communion today, I want to ask you this. Where do you need Jesus to meet you today? Where is it in your life? If you were to characterize one part of your life, even as Christy was saying earlier, that there will be one part of your life that you would say, that's the part of my life that's sitting on the side of the road in the dirt. That's the part of my life that is broken and feels like beyond restoration. In what parts of your life do you need to declare, I am the man, I am the woman? As we come to communion, as you receive, would you before the Lord in, in your own heart Would you surrender those things and would you receive from him the touch that he wants to bring this morning? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you came willingly with a plan in place to make this incredible exchange. Lord, that each one of us can declare, I once was, but I'm not that anymore. I once was a sinner, but now I'm the righteousness of God. I've been made right. I'm in right standing before Jesus Christ, before the Father. I once was sick, but Jesus, you're healing and you're bringing a healing touch. I once was living in poverty, but Jesus, that you want to minister abundance in your riches in my life. Holy Spirit, As we receive, Lord, would would you just touch those deep places? Would you minister to those places, Lord, that that we're skeptical about? And would we receive your grace and your mercy this morning? Amen. The men are going to pass the trays. Um, It'll just be quiet. Quiet's okay. Um, And partake. Receive communion when you're ready to. Uh, we, we, by the way, we serve. Uh, we have an open table, which means that if you're visiting us with us this morning, and uh, if you acknowledge Jesus Christ, 
as your Lord and Savior, you're welcome to partake and participate this morning. And I would even say this, if you're new here today and you've never given your life to Jesus and, and the Lord's stirring your heart right now and you want to make that decision today, would you partake and then we'll give you an opportunity to respond to that in just a minute.